Good morning, Rockwell Perez. Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be with you again this Lord's Day in spirit, if not in body. Again, we look forward to being with you again soon and hope and pray for the day when this virus will end, the restrictions will be lifted, and we'll be able to gather together again. Until then, we commend you for your faithfulness, for your willingness to endure hardships, and to make the most of this time together. A lot has happened in the last two weeks since the last time I spoke with you. And in light of that, I want to take a moment to commend a few different people from our congregation. First of all, I want to commend all the RPC kids who took my advice and did the homework, got online, and looked at pictures of donkeys and their backs. And I appreciate those of you who texted me to tell me what you discovered. And for those of you who didn't do it, I can now tell you that on the backs of most donkeys, you will find the image of a cross. And for those of you who looked and saw that cross, I hope and pray that you will keep your hearts and minds fixed on the cross. I also want to take a moment to commend those who put such hard work into the Tenebrae and Lumen Christi service. From our decorator to our readers, our lead musician and our senior pastor, I can speak for everyone when I say that we appreciate the hard work that you put into this because you took what promised to be a bittersweet Holy Weekend and you made it much more sweet than bitter. And we're very thankful for that. And finally, I want to commend the men of this church who have gotten their corona cuts. I know it was a hard decision to make, but now that you've done it, I want to welcome you to the bald side. As you figured out over the last couple of days, maintaining this low-maintenance hairstyle is not as easy as it seems. It actually takes a lot of work to look this clean. You have just read from Mark 12 a story about a widow and scribes who are giving at the temple. I remind you that in this year we have been walking with Jesus in the story of the Gospel of Mark, and we have made our way all the way to Jerusalem. The last time we saw Jesus, he was riding a donkey up into Jerusalem. Crowds were cheering him, and he was preparing to spend the last week of his life in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the streets, in the marketplace. In the story today, we meet Jesus at the temple, and it is Tuesday, three days before the crucifixion. We see Jesus in the temple watching and waiting and worshiping. And the thing that's central in this story is that Jesus is observing those who have come to the temple to make their offerings and to give. And they are doing so in a very specific way. You remember that last Sunday, Pastor Zach and I spoke to the kids of our church in the children's lesson. And we encouraged all of you to give and not steal to make sure that you did something good for other people. And I appreciate the pictures and the notes that I received this week telling me what some of you kids have been doing and the different ways you've been giving. I saw pictures of you mowing lawns and reading books and helping with chores and taking care of brothers and sisters. And I want to say thank you for your hard work. Thank you for sharing the pictures. And above all, thank you for giving 
back to others. Today, in light of the story in Mark 12, I want to talk about giving not only to the children, but also to the adults. In fact, I want to talk about giving to everyone in the church. Now, I've been in ministry long enough to know that when a pastor says to a congregation, I want to talk about giving, that's the moment when purses and pocketbooks suddenly go into the witness protection program. They disappear and they are not to be seen anymore. And trust me, I understand that. I know where that comes from. But I want to put your mind at ease and let you know that I'm not here today to talk about giving money. I'm not here today to get into your personal affairs. I do want to talk about giving, but I don't want to talk about just giving your stuff. I want to talk about giving yourself. We don't know each other very well yet. We're still getting to know one another. And so I just want to give you assurances that in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this economic decline, when people are beginning to feel the pressure and the pinch, I'm not here to get my hands into your pockets in any way. In fact, if I could say anything about this to ease your minds and prove to you that I don't want to talk about giving money today, I will report to you what our finance committee has said to us, that they are so excited and praise God for the generosity of this church that this year the church has been giving faithfully and giving well, giving generously, and even in these economic difficulties, this time of pandemic, the church has continued to give generously. And so I want to praise God with our finance committee, praise God for his generosity, and praise God for your generosity as well. When we talk about the story in Mark 12, part of the story does deal with giving money. But there's another part of the story, the story behind the story, that talks about giving more than money. And that's the part I want to focus on. As you read the story, you see that Jesus was observing the people and not just watching what they were giving, but he was watching how they were giving. And to understand how he could do that, you have to think a little bit differently than the way we typically give. He wasn't watching plates being passed around or baskets being passed around uh, among the congregation through the rows. He was watching people give as if he were watching them give in the offering boxes that we have in our sanctuary. At the temple, there were not boxes, but there were these horn-shaped or funnel-shaped devices that were theft-proof. And people could go up to those and they could put their money into the opening at the top and the money would fall through the opening down the tube into the collection basket or box. And the more they gave, the louder the noise would be because people gave with coins, not paper. And so as they poured their coins in or threw their coins in or dropped their coins in, if they gave a lot of coins, it made a lot of noise. If they gave a few coins, it didn't make quite as much noise. So Jesus is watching how people gave and what he saw might surprise you. He saw some people who gave humbly, but other people who gave proudly. He saw some people who gave quietly and some who gave loudly. He saw some people who gave only to be seen by God, 
but he saw other people who gave to be seen by men. And in the midst of all of that hustle and bustle, Jesus saw a woman making her way to one of the offering boxes and putting in her coins. She put in two small coins, which amounted to what we would call a penny. The phrase, a penny for your thoughts, or the phrase, two cents worth, from what I gather, is often tied to this story. It's the language of this story that's brought to bear in the conversation of life as people want to share their opinion and share their opinion in a humble way. They'll say, this is my two cents worth, meaning I don't want to overwhelm you or overburden you, but here's what I think about this. Please accept it humbly. This woman gave two small coins. Now, the interesting thing about this woman Mark points out to us is that she was a poor woman. And when the phrase poor woman appears, you might read it like poor woman, poor woman, as in we as in we feel sorry for you. We feel sorry for her. But that's not what Mark meant when he described this woman as a poor woman. He described her as a poor woman because she was, in fact, a poor woman and she was a widow woman. Sadly, in the time of Jesus, widows often ended their lives in poverty. And they ended their lives in poverty because the system was set up so that if their husband died, they could not receive inheritance. If they didn't have any sons to work and take care of them, there was no one to provide for them or protect them from dangers. And on top of that, as we read in the story earlier, there were religious people like the scribes who would go around and devour widows' homes. That means that they would take advantage of them. They would rob them blind. Widows would entrust their wealth and their property to these religious leaders who in the name of the temple or in the name of God or in the name of religion would take advantage of them. And ultimately, the women would be left poor, poverty-stricken, in need. Jesus saw this poor woman giving her gifts, and he commented on it to his disciples. The thing that I want you to note about this woman is that she was a poor woman. But in the Greek language, the, poor, the word poor could also be translated as worthless. I don't think that the gospel writer or that Jesus thought this woman was worthless. But for the purpose of illustration, I want you to think of that word poor as worthless. Think of what it would be like for this woman to make her way into the temple. And here she is in the eyes of her community, in the eyes of wicked religious leaders. She is a worthless woman. And not only is she a worthless woman, but she is offering a worthless gift. What can two pennies do when there is so much need at the temple? What can two pennies do when there's so much need in the world? Jesus highlights this woman for his disciples, draws their attention to her. They want, he wants them to look at this woman and see her for who she is and what she is. She is a poor widow woman. And to our ears, that might just be describing her situation, but to the ears of the ancient readers or the ancient listeners to this story, what they heard is that she has three strikes against her. Strike one, 
she is a woman. Strike two, she is a widow. Strike three, she is poor. Jesus draws his disciples' attention to her because he wants them to see something in her that is truly beautiful and worthy. As you think about this woman in the temple, I wonder if you can relate to her or identify with her in some way. Imagine how she must have felt making her way into the, into the temple where there were so many people who were dressed nice. There were so many people who had more than she had. There were people with families. There were women with husbands. There were children around. There were people making large donations to the temple. And here she sneaks in a worthless woman with her worthless gift. And I say that intentionally because I can't help but imagine that perhaps she felt like a worthless person. After all, in the eyes of her community, she was a nobody. She was nothing. And yet, in the eyes of Jesus, she was quite something. What was worthless in the eyes of the world was worthy in the eyes of Jesus. Jesus highlights for his disciples that this woman, unlike the others who gave, gave all that she had. She gave her life in those two coins. So Jesus saw this worthless widow and her worthless gift, and he declared her to be worthy. Truly I say to you that she, this poor widow, gave more into the offering box than all the other givers. Why? For all gave from their abundance, but she gave from her austerity. She gave everything she had. She gave her whole life. You've heard it sung before or said in different places. All gave some but she gave all. Two weeks ago, I was invited by a friend of mine to conduct a graveside service for her mother. Her mother had passed away at an elderly age in her 90s. My friend is a devout Christian woman. She is a mother, she is a grandmother, and she herself is a widow. We stood next to the grave one afternoon, a cool, crisp day. I stood beside her as we watched her mother's casket being lowered into the ground. We spoke to each other in hushed voices about hope and faith in the midst of life and in the face of death. It was a solemn moment. And when the casket was lowered all the way into the ground, everyone finally breathed a sigh of relief, a sigh of remorse and regret. It was then that I turned to walk away. But as I turned to leave, my friend pulled a gift out from under the shawl that she had wrapped around herself, and she handed it to me. I reminded her that I required nothing no payment of any kind to conduct the service. It was a privilege to do so. But she insisted that I take the gift, and she said, please take it. It's all that I can give. So I took the gift home, and when I got home is when I decided to open it. 
I sat down with a cup of coffee and peeled back the gold-colored paper. And what I found inside surprised me. Inside this gift was a book. And inside the book, there was a note which read in part, Reverend Toombs, I wish I could do more for you, but I want you to have one of my mom's favorite books. This is a book I found her reading frequently during this past year. I was very moved by the gesture, not only because it was totally unnecessary, but because I know it came from the depths of her heart. I know what she said, it's all I can do, she meant, it's all I can do. And I can assure you that it was far more than enough. I wonder how many times in life we have used expressions like that. I wish I could do more, but it's all I can do. And we say that with a hint of apology. I hope it's enough. And there's a bit of wishful thinking attached to that. Isn't it how we often feel towards one another? Isn't it how we often feel towards God? Isn't it how we often feel in life and in worship? I wish I could do more, but I hope it's enough, but it's all I can do, but. And implied in all of that is, I don't think it's good enough. I don't think it's enough. I don't think you're going to like it. I don't think it's going to count or that it's worthy. Sadly, I know many people who never give because they feel worthless. They never give because they feel that their gift might be worthless. And when I refer to this, I'm not simply referring to they never give money, they never tithe or make offerings. I'm referring to much more than that. I'm talking about people who never give themselves. They never give themselves because they don't feel worthy in themselves. They never give their stuff because they don't think their stuff is worthy. They never give their song or their spirit or their sweat because they don't think it's worthy or that it has value or that it will mean anything to anyone else. They don't feel that it's enough. The widow in this story shows us that if you give yourself first to the Lord, all of your stuff will follow. If you give yourself first to the Lord, all of your time, your treasure, and your talents will follow. If you give yourself first to the Lord, whatever else you give to him will be enough. It will be counted as worthy. It will be good enough and pleasing to the Lord. True giving begins with giving yourself first to the Lord and then giving this or that will follow. So look at this worthless widow again. This worthless widow gave her worthless gift to the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ said her gift was more worthy than all of the other gifts. Her gift was more worthy than all of the other gifts. How could that be? It's because she gave everything to the Lord and held nothing back from him. She gave by grace through faith, not just her stuff, but herself. Earlier in the story, we referenced 
Jesus' warning about the scribes. He warned us about the scribes and said, Beware of the scribes because they devour widows' homes. They take advantage of them. They rob their stuff. And as I read the story and see the story of the widow coming into the temple and all that is said about her, if I'm just connecting the dots or reading between the lines, I think that Mark wants us to see that perhaps even this widow had been taken advantage of by some of the scribes. Perhaps she had been a victim of their scribal abuse. That's why Jesus called them out. That's why he exposed them in the marketplace. That's why he warned people about them so that they would not fall into that trouble. But there's another reason he warned people. It's not just to keep them out of trouble, but he warned people because he was like a prosecutor, a prophet who was prosecuting people in his community. He was pointing out that the scribes had violated the law of God. He had violated the scriptures. The scriptures teach us that God himself executes justice for the widow, that God himself is a protector of widows in his holy habitation, that is, in his holy place, the temple, that God upholds the widow. He defends and protects them. And now you see in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God in his holy habitation, defending and protecting the rights of a widow woman who had been abused, who had been afflicted by the religious leaders of her day. This story shows us not just something about the widow, which is beautiful in and of itself. The story shows us something about the Lord Jesus Christ, which is just as beautiful, true, and good for us. The story shows us that Jesus Christ fulfills all of these truths for the poor widow as God in the flesh. But I want you to know that Jesus would do the same for you. Jesus would do the same for you. No matter how weak, no matter how worthless, no matter how wounded you and your gifts might be, Jesus will do for you what he did for the widow is that is he will defend and protect you. And so in light of this story, in light of the lesson on giving, I want to urge you to give all that you are to the Lord. And I want to encourage you to hold nothing back from the Lord. Whatever it is, give out of your weakness. Give out of your poverty. Give out of your change purse. Give whatever you have, whatever you wish, but first give yourself to the Lord. Give yourself to the Lord, and that will be enough for him. However worthless or unworthy you might think it is, know that by the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you give yourself first to the Lord, he will count you worthy. And if you offer your gifts to him out of your brokenness, out of your weakness, that too will be received by him as a worthy gift. Jesus will make you and your gift worthy by his grace and by his mercy and for God's glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.